Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. Here's our latest message. I am so honored to be up here. It has been a long journey. I can't believe from the backyard days of setting up at Sam's parents' house to being in a room where I'm looking out and it is max capacity. Five years in, going strong. It is so good. God is so faithful. Um, But I have a word for you guys today. So before we jump in, let's pray. Okay. God, I uh, come before you, Lord, and just, Lord, just ask that you just use me as a vessel, Lord, just speak through me. Um, may you just speak in the ways that only you can, God. Whatever is said, whatever is taught, um, falls on good soil today, Lord, that we are able to receive what is taught and also just understand your goodness and your mercy in a newfound way today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to take you guys on a little story really quick. So go there with me and try to follow along. This is an experience that I had honestly this week. The Lord was um, priming me for this message we're going to give. I'll just say that. Um, There was an instance, I don't know if you're a parent, um, Lenya took her nap at like 5 p.m. And if you're a parent, you're like, oh, you're going to be up for a long (laughs) night. 5 p.m. nap is a no-go when you're parenting. Like maybe 2 o'clock, we can like swing in and I'll wake her up in a half an hour. And then 5 p.m. came, 6 p.m. came, 7 p.m. came, and we're shaking Lenya, and she is not budging. So she finally woke up around like 7.15, maybe 7.30. So I knew, okay, we're in it for a long night. It's going to be a good night. So I already am like, mom fail number one. I let her nap too early. So my mind is like framed around like, okay, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? So then Sam calls, I'm going to go play pickleball. Great, we'll come join. We're going to be up late anyways. We're going to come. So I stroll in. It's dark. Sam, Thomas, a few other people are at the pickleball court, and it is slammed. So many people. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's cold. i got to get the girls closed up. All good. And I'm walking in, and I'm already, like, my framework of my mind is, all right, it's, it's just, it is what it is. And the minute I walk in, somebody says a comment, put that baby to bed. And my mind went, oh, no, you didn't. And, like, I was ready. I was, like... I turn and I gave the face of Kelly before Jesus. Um, and, but then I got checked really quick and I was like, no, keep walking. Keep walking. And as I say this, that is what I mean of this message was prime for me because I also knew as I'm walking, I am also an embodiment of the kingdom of God wherever I go. And I'm like, those eyes, that face, that was not edifying, that was not glorifying Kelly. She may should have not have said that, but Lord, you are still good. And with that, what I get to talk to you guys today about my title is Slow to Anger. Yeah, it was a fun week. It was a fun week. Um, So Slow to Anger, we've been on this collection of talks about the character of God. Sam already has talked to us about how God is compassionate right? He is so compassionate. And then after his compassion follows grace. And then where we are today is that he is slow to anger. So if you could open up your Bibles with me to Exodus 34, we're going to pick up right where we left off in our story. 
and keep going. Um, Exodus 34, 6 through 7, we're going to read through it again. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Ah, right? But the beautiful part is we get to dissect right in line of what we've been going through. So we know God is compassionate, his character, he's gracious. But what does it mean, slow to anger, right? As I was doing my research, I was understanding when, when this was written, it was written in the Hebrew context. So this is the Old Testament. So it was written, and the way that we translate this doesn't quite match up in how we understand this. So in the Hebrew, slow to anger actually means long of nose. Just picture that. Just go there. Somebody's long nose. And you're like, what does a long of nose have to do with slow to anger? Well, it's actually the patience that comes with that and the visual of when you're angry, when you're burning in your anger, doesn't your face get hot? Doesn't it burn hot? We even talk about people in our day and age, when you're angry, you're a hothead. Or I know for me, I'm white, my nose gets red. (laughs) I get heated and my nose gets red, but if I'm long of nose, it's gonna take a lot longer for my nose to get red. And it's gonna take a lot longer for my nose to get hot. So if someone's long of nose and there's a moment or like what I experienced where I could have responded differently, all I had to do was long nose, Kelly. breathe it out, and it doesn't come out the way that is not edifying, not glorifying to God, and it actually gives me opportunity to respond accordingly to how God actually is, not how I like to respond in my own human fleshly desires, right? So long of nose means I have patience. It takes a lot for my nose to burn hot and to burn red with anger and rage. I have time. I have patience. I'm breathing through it. God, work through me as I actually respond. And so with that, there are two realities to this idea of God is slow to anger. The first reality, if you're taking notes, when you're writing, God is slow to anger. Can you underline slow? Specifically slow. Just that one. Because it is so important. Because that is the reminder that God is not quick-tempered. He doesn't get ticked off the way that you and I do. He doesn't come up into the room and he's like, my fists are up, let's go, I'm ready. He is not already there. He's not provoked in that way like we sometimes are. He is slow to anger, patient, long of nose. Some translations say his patience, if you have New King James, it'll say he is forbearing, forbearance. It takes a while for him to get angry. I have a translation on Mine with the same verse of Exodus that also says, as it says, O Lord, O Lord, gracious and merciful God, patient, the one who makes anger distant and brings compassion near. So God is saying, I'm, I'm, I want anger distant. Not that I don't get angry, but I want it so distant. That's why we know he's compassionate. He's graceful because anger is far off. He doesn't want to bring it close like our natural human response of just 
right off the gun going for it. It is distant. So there's this. Have any of you guys seen the movie Lincoln? Any hands? No? Okay, okay. Well, you're a teacher. History, okay. Um, So if you know of Abe Lincoln, um, there was a movie generated from him, and we call him Honest Abe, but also a characteristic that comes over him is that he is patient. And there's a moment in the movie where Abe Lincoln is just getting insult after insult after insult of just his cabinet not agreeing with him on a certain amendment. And we all know what he's coming against and he's trying to fight against his slavery. And then he's just sitting there in the movie, just like, okay, say what you gotta say, say what you gotta say, all right, all right, I hear what you have to say. And everybody's making harsh comments, harsh things to him. And then eventually there's a moment where he just lets it out. And he says with his hand on the table, I can't, I'm not gonna scream it. He says, I can't take this loud as he can, and he hits the table hard. And you could just imagine a moment where someone who is patient and graceful, and he just comes, and the room just goes, oh, you're speaking. (sighs) Silent. Long story short, he just had a moment where he said, enough is enough against the injustices taking place. He responded in a just manner of, I get you're disagreeing on these things, but enough is enough. Justice needs to happen. And long story short, the movement, slavery, has been changed ever since because of the partnership and what Abe Lincoln stood for, right? But he had to have that moment where he said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. There is a justice that needs to be done. And it shows, even though he responded, he was slow to anger. A great example. Proverbs 14.20 says, 14.29 says this, whoever is patient has great understanding. So if you're patient, you're smart, you're intelligent. You got it going on, right? Be patient. But one who is quick-tempered displays folly. So quick-tempered is already an antonym to patience. It's going against it. So the invitation is, let's not be quick-tempered. Let's be patient because it's going to put us in a light, we're smart, we're understanding, we're not quick to respond, we're actually thinking things through and giving God time to actually work in our response. Another translation, another verse, Proverbs 16, 32 says, better a patient man, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. That one to me is just so on point because better a patient person than a warrior, a warrior is ready to go into battle whenever, right? It's good to be prepared, yes, Sure, but not so prepared to where any opportunity comes, you're ready to jump in, even if it's not the right opportunity, if, even if it's not the right place. And then it hits on the notion of that slow to anger component that Jesus functions, God functions in so well, is self-control. That's why he is slow to anger, because he has self-control. It says, one with self-control than one who takes a city. I'm not worried. He said, I'm not worried about taking the city and getting the glory and getting the fame. I'm going to operate in self-control. I'm going to be slow to anger. I'm going to be long of nose because why? He is compassionate and he is gracious. And because of that, that informs how he responds in anger. That is what his foundational response is. Not, I'm going to be angry right away. No, his compassion and grace inform that response. Right? And then the second part to those two realities, if you're taking notes, if you wrote down, God is slow to anger, now underline the fullness, slow to anger, all of it. Because guess what? 
God gets angry still. He is slow to anger, yes. He is patient and he is graceful, but he wouldn't be a just God if he did not get angry, right? There are things that go on in our world that I'm like, how can you not? A little girl taken and abducted by a grown man and hidden off, that is a right to be justly angry. This is not right. This is not happening or even picturing the stuff taking place all the way across the world where you're on your phone scrolling and you're on Instagram and it says, are you sure you want to see this? Disturbing images. You click yes anyways and you see people's legs getting blown off, people getting kidnapped. That is just anger. And if God didn't get angry at those things, I would be a little concerned, but he is a just God. He does because he cannot stand the injustice that takes place. So he is a just God. His anger fits the response of the injustice in the world. But it's not like our anger. There's no way it could be like our anger because ours is a human anger. It's a human response. God's anger, slow. My anger, fast. God's righteous. Mine, a little unjust sometimes. God, just. Mine, is it based off my desires that I'm trying to hold close that actually aren't in line with God completely? Maybe not in full alignment, right? So the ways that we show anger is much different than God's. I wrote this. Our anger is not a sign of righteous anger, human anger, but unholy desires that I'm trying to protect. I can guarantee you when I get angry, it is because nine times out of ten, it's my wounded ego. Me walking into that room. How dare you say my parenting this and that? My ego was wounded. I felt it and I responded. How and then the ushering in of actually how I'm supposed to respond came in. Our anger, even when I grew up. So I am German. I am white. Um, We all know this. Um, So the way I was taught actually in my household is when you get angry, actually my experience, not everybody in my household functioned this way, but I did. When I got angry, I would see people blow up, and I was like, oh, that's so immature. Like, the way you blow up, it's like flamboyant. It's crazy. Like, why do that? So then my response was, I'm going to hold it in. And I held it in. And I can tell you that is not the right way to respond to anger either because it would destroy me from the inside out. I would think I had to be, oh, tough on the outside, but my inside was wreaking havoc. And I was like, you can be tough, girl, all day long, but God knows the depths of your soul. He knows what's going on in your heart. And he's just saying, just release that anger to me. Allow me to take it on because I am a compassionate and graceful God. I can show you how to get angry in the right way in the just way as I do. And I didn't lean into that. Or our American culture is blow up anger. I don't know if any of you guys are like that, where you get angry and you like, woo, the top goes off and you just take everyone out in a 10 foot radius. Maybe 100 foot, maybe you go big. And everyone's gone by your words, by your actions, by how you, and God is that invitation. That is not how he gets angry. He is slow to angry, but he still does get angry. God's anger is just. It fits the crime. Mine is always a wounded ego. Always. Nine times out of ten. If Lenya goes out into the street and she's walking, my response, yeah, I'll get a little angry. Lenya, come in. But that is like the father's protection over my life. It is a father. It is a loving response of, I'm angry because I want you safe. 
not because of how I feel X, Y, and Z. It's a just, a father, a heart of the father type of anger. Like, no, come in. Okay, you're good and you're safe. We're good. It's different. God does not get angry like we do, but he does. And you have to work at it to get God angry. Did you know that? Because he is patient. You have to work at it to really get God angry. He's consistent. Compassion, grace is his default setting, but he does get angry. Um, I have a story of my childhood, and now that I think about it, I don't know why my mom let my brother and I do this. Um, So we oftentimes would pick on each other, often, as a brother and sister do. And I remember coming into my room one day, and my brother had put Vaseline on my doorknob and Vaseline in my shoes and anything. So I would slide in, imagine, right? And I was so angry, so angry. And immediately I remember thinking, well, what am I going to do to get you back? Because it's on, it's war. And so I toilet papered his room. At some extent, I threw all his clothes out of his thing, his uh, dresser into the pool, have fun diving in. I realized, so that is like, there's things that how we've responded is like, mm, probably not the best way, but as a teenager, my synapse of how I problem solved wasn't fully developed. Let's so to speak. Let's say that. But God, his completion and fullness of understanding probably could have came into that moment and said, you're going to have to dive down into the pool and get those for your brother because you did it. And I did. And he's like, Mara, probably not do that. Maybe just okay, I see what you did. I'll remember that later down the road and forgive you down the road too. It is what it is. We're good. But I remember it was a full war for a week. I can't even tell you the rest of the stuff we did. It was just wild. (laughs) But, But I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, you have done a work in me. Because I remember those things, I would just pop off right and left of like, okay, I'm gonna just show you how it should be. And that's not the way that God is. He is just He does it in the right way, but he still gets angry. I want to read with you guys. Have you guys read the book of Jonah? Familiar with Jonah, the whale? Jonah gets swallowed by the whale. So in the story of Jonah, this takes place around a city called Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of an empire called Assyria. So we read about Nineveh in Jonah. And so what is taking place in this time is that Nineveh is a space and an area where it is wicked. It is cruel. It is just catastrophe. People are getting slaughtered. People are getting impaled and hung on sticks. It is just destructive. All things gory, all things unrighteousness, all things just, you take your mind there. It is just the worst of the worst. You would not want to be there. It is not the place. And so Jonah, a prophet, was sent to Nineveh to basically ask and warn and tell them, like, just repent. You guys are in a downward spiral. Just repent, repent of the wickedness and turn back. And the beautiful thing of the story is when Jonah did, they did repent. And almost Jonah was frustrated that they did repent because he knew God would give them and he would give them compassion. And it's almost like he didn't want to go because he knew God is that way. That is his default setting, is grace and love. And when the city did repent, God spared them, and he changed his intention of 
gosh, the, the just judgment of how they chose to live and how they chose to operate. He was patient. He was gracious. But then the book, if you move, so Jonah, there's a book in between Jonah and then Nahum. In Nahum, about 100 to 150 years later, Nineveh is brought back up, right? That's a long time, 100 to 150 years. They repented before that, and there's this duration. And basically, Nineveh went back on what they said. And they said, basically, like, I know we repented, but we're going to go back to our old ways. We're going to be sinful. We're going to do all these things, and we're just going to forget the grace and the goodness of God and just live how we want to live. So with that, they turned back on their repentance. It was short-lived. And then in 722 BC, Assyria conquered Israel, and God wasn't happy about that. God sees Israel in a different manner. It is his place. He treasures Israel. It is to be protected, right? And in Nahum, it says, he cares for those who trust in him, but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whoa, Nineveh, I don't think you chose right. Nineveh went back and God said, although I am gracious, I am compassionate, I am slow to anger, a hundred to 120 years later, I asked, I begged, please repent, please turn from your ways, please don't do this. His grace was showing he was slow to anger, but at enough, at a certain point, God had to say, I am also just, I am also judge, enough is enough. I can't let you be your own destruction. And so basically what God did, and this is what's wild is his anger sometimes is not the, I'm going to come down and zap you with light. It is the, I'm just going to re release you and move my hand of protection over you. And I'm going to give you into the darkness of what you want to do. I'm going to give you over into the sins that you are leaning into because you don't want my hand of protection. You don't want my covering. So that is what God did. And he said, okay, I'm going to release. And Jonah, after the city was spared, Nahum said, enough is enough. God was compassionate. He was gracious. He gave them time. But then the Babylonian army, his hand, remember his hand was removed. And this is what happened. Nineveh wasn't destroyed completely, but they were in a sense because he let them to their own demise and their destruction. And it said the Babylonian army in 612 BC, a decade or two after the book of Nahum, so after this took place, they were overcome and they were destroyed in that sense. So the destruction of the city was by an army from Babylon, and that is God's anger, but also his justice. He does get angry. And I hate to say that here today because I love talking about the love and the joy and the grace, but we have to realize, too, he is a just judge. If he had not done that, imagine the city's destruction. Imagine the women, the children, the things, the, the wicked, the evilness that was taking place. God can't stand for that. God is like, I can't allow that to take place under my watch. So, okay, Nineveh, you want this. I'll let you have it. And he allowed that. And that is what's wild to me is that it was an act of judgment, but it was justice. And so in Romans, 
it says the wrath of God is being revealed by heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people. This is a hard one, so bear with me. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him, thinking of Nineveh, they, either glori- they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. And birds and animals, reptiles, therefore God gave them over to their sinful hearts. And so notice the language he gave, him, gave them over. He takes that blessing, that covering, that hand off of it. Oftentimes I think of the visual of, say somebody's in a marriage and they are cheating on their spouse. Oftentimes when it is found out, sometimes we say like, oh, like you deserve that. That was the justice response. I'm glad it was found out. But can I be frank and honest with you? That response to me is, is not necessarily the anger of God. I look at it as like, oh, it's the mercy of God because the real, real just, and like, oh, if this was his anger, it would be, well, let me just let you keep on doing what you're doing and let your heart get darkened and just remove his hand and let you get away with it. It is his mercy when you are confronted with God to where you have to either give the opportunity of like, okay, God, like I'm going to lean into your compassion and grace and repentance, or I'm just going to continue and allow my hand to be removed and step into the sinfulness. So I see that as like, oh, it's his mercy, but it's hard. Is his mercy hard when we're confronted with things we don't want to be confronted with? It's hard to just stand there and be like, God, you are so good to take it on anyways. But like, there's things. I'm not perfect. There's things that how I respond, I'm not quite where you are, Jesus. But I'm working towards it because you are patient, you are compassionate, and you are graceful. Let's not forget that. So with that, he is slow to anger. Do we get that? We understand he's slow to anger, but it's because of his self-control. He is slow to anger because he has self-control. He has love, he has patience, but he still gets angry, but that's not what I'm trying to focus on, that he still gets angry. The context is that he is slow. He is patient. He is long of nostril. When he gets angry, he breathes it in. He allows us time and time and time again, and he is graceful, and he is enduring, and he is loyal, and he gives us time and opportunity and opportunity and opportunity. That's why his grace is sufficient for all of us. It doesn't matter. When we turn and we say, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He's like, I've forgiven you already. I love you that much. It doesn't matter. I've forgiven you. Sure, it took me a long time to get angry, but I'm so grateful that you turned of your ways. I forgive you. My grace is sufficient. So with that, I want to explain something that we're talking about Jesus, or God right now, and God and Jesus. So Jesus is God in the flesh. 
So he has to be in line with the characteristics of God, correct? So then when we look at Jesus, we're like, oh, well, then Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is grateful, graceful. Well, then he must be slow to anger. So in the New Testament, we actually see a moment in Matthew where Jesus is given an opportunity to almost set things right for justice, right? So in Matthew 21, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Before I even move on, just to give context, the temple courts was a place where people would come and they would make almost a three days journey and they would come to bring a sacrifice. This is Old Testament. So they would come to the temple, um, the temple elites and say, I've journeyed three days. Here is this lamb. Here is this calf. Let me sacrifice this calf or this lamb. And what the temple elites would say, well, we have to inspect it. We have a pre-approved inspector. Let me look at it. And it had to be holy had to be clean. There had to be no blemish. It had to be the best of the best of what you could offer. And what Jesus was hinting to that in that moment was they would inspect it and they would say, oh, I'm sorry, it's not perfect. But we have a pre-approved one here at the temple courts for this price. And it's a little bit more pricey. And people would do that because they had to. They had a reverence. And they say, I know it had to be holy. They would pay the marked up price in the temple for that. Or if your journey was really far and really long, you would bring money from the Roman Empire or wherever you're coming from. And you would say, okay, I have this cash. And then the temple leads would say, I love that you brought that cash, but we don't accept Roman currency. We only accept temple currency, which we have for an added price, right? So in this moment, Jesus is almost two to three years into his ministry, so he was patient. He had probably gone to the temple courts many times. He had probably seen this happening. He had probably given them time and time again of like, this is wrong. Don't do this. This is not great. Turn away. This is not the accurate response. So years of this, and then the moment came where Jesus said, enough is enough. You are turning my courts into what it is, the temple courts, into what it's not meant for. And so it goes on to say, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and asked him, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So what Jesus is saying is, I gave you time but I can't let this pass anymore. This is not what the house of God was meant for. This is not just. This is not right. I am done. So he flipped the tables in a righteous anger and said, no more. Enough is enough. So the, what is actually something that's interesting is this moment, a lot of scholars actually believe this is what led to Jesus' arrest because you don't come against the temple elites. So the reason that a lot of scholars believe the reason he was met with the rest that he was is because, one, the temple elites were frustrated. You don't come against them. You don't tell them what to do. You don't call them out on the wrong. And so he was met with just the response of pride, frustration, anger, all of these things. And so it is a calling out. But What's wild is he stood for the just anger and he said, enough is enough. I've given you three 
two and a half, three years to turn from this. I can't stand by any longer. I love my people too much to, you, to see you rob from them, to see you unjustly take from them, to see you be in a way that is not edifying and glorifying to the kingdom of God. This is not right. So God's love, I don't want you to miss this. Don't miss this. God's love flows through his anger. His anger is the response, but his love is the starting point. The reason he gets angry in the way that he does is because he loves so much. And that is hard to understand in our day, day and age. I had a problem with it. I'm like, how could he be angry? I just want him to be loving and joyful and gracious. That's what we hear all the time. But I'm like, if he is loving and joyful and all of these things truly in the complete wholeness, then he will get angry at the right things. Just as I get angry when Lenya goes into the street. Come on, Grandma Liz. <laughs> he will get angry at the right things. But he won't get angry at the things that I get angry about. My bruised ego. Somebody saying something as I'm passing. He won't get angry at, um, gosh, the family member in the room at Thanksgiving who said something and you weren't ready for it. He doesn't get angry at the things that we get angry about because it is our pride. It is our insecurities. It is our unholy desires that we are trying to protect and say, oh, it makes sense why I got angry because they said this. And then it, it only, no, that is our unholy desires. That is not how God responds. And he will never respond out of anger the way that we do. So our lean-in is how do we respond like he does? Well, let's be slow. Let's breathe it in. If it's just, there's a time for anger. But if it's just anger, if it's righteous anger, if there is an injustice. Matthew 5, 9 says this. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Are you guys peacemakers today? I hope so, because you guys are children of God. You are making peace. You are in the business of creating a kingdom currency that is made for generations to come, of goodness, faithfulness, peacefulness. But that doesn't mean you are a peacekeeper. And what I mean by a peacekeeper is you sweep things under the rug and you don't address it because God was here to peacemake. Jesus was a peacemaker. He got righteously angry and threw that table. He didn't throw the injustice under the rug and say, I'll deal with it later, 10 years, when I trip over it, when it hits me again. No, he made peace. So the encouragement is to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers is totally different. Peacekeepers is under the rug for years and years and years, or keeping it in for years and years and years and it rots you from the inside out. We are called to make peace as children of God. So when we react to unholy anger, we can cause injury. When we react to our way of being angry, it can hurt somebody, it can wound them, it can make them feel how God never intended for them to feel. But when we breed forgiveness and faithfulness, we actually step in the ministry of how Jesus did, a ministry of reconciliation, restoration, bringing wholeness, bringing fullness into the room and ushering in, in the kingdom of God and saying, I'm not going to allow the enemy this space to create chaos and turmoil. I will address things, but my end goal is to reconcile. My end goal is to reframe this so that it glorifies God, to restore this so that it edifies the kingdom of God so I can be a peacemaker and not a peacekeeper and I can be slow to anger and let God work through how I respond, right? So gentleness, patience, slow to anger. 
gives space for healing, forgiveness, harmony. We are called to be a united body that requires us to be unified and be able to live together in the kingdom of God, be slow to anger with each other, be compassionate, be gracious, be loving, because that is what God did. That is how Jesus did. So we are called to be people that live like Jesus lived. So the invitation for you guys today is, where are you at? Are you working through your anger? And that's okay. God is saying, okay, cast all your burdens and your worries onto me. Let me show you how to do it, how I did it. Lean into me deeper. Or are you in a space where you actually have to remember that God is slow first. He is slow. He gives you time. He is compassionate. He is gracious. But also, he has his moments of enough is enough, and that is the righteousness of who he is. And I'm grateful for that because I need that in days in our age and how our world is. I need the just that he brings, but I love his grace that he gives me chance and chance and chance again to be full of hope let's pray god i thank you for who you are jesus god i thank you that you are just god you are faithful and that the way that you respond to things is not how i respond not how we respond and i'm grateful that you are the beginning and the end you are the alpha the omega jesus god you are good Thank you for your goodness and your teaching and your ways that are much higher than my understanding. Teach me how to be slow to anger, Jesus. Teach me how to be more compassionate, more gracious, to understand your ways more than my ways, Jesus. May your kingdom come, Lord. May your will be done on earth 